0: So Money episode 270, Ask Farnoosh with special guest, Joe Saul Sehai. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the
1: world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
0: everyone, welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, TGIF. And today we have a very special guest. As you know, I've been doing these Ask Farnoosh episodes on Fridays now, no longer on the weekends. Weekends is lights out. Fridays, it's you and me time. We're going to address your questions. And joining me to help navigate some of your burning financial questions, I have with me a familiar friend to So Money, uh, Joe Hi. He is the, <laughs> hi Joe, co-host of the popular show on iTunes, you know it, Stacking Benjamins. He's also a contributor to the Money Tree Investing podcast. And Joe, not like me, Joe has been a financial advisor, formerly a financial advisor, 16 years. And uh, at WXYZ TV, he was the money man. So today he is the money man on So Money, helping us navigate your money questions. Welcome, Joe.
1: I feel like I'm on Farnoosh's happy hour episode.
0: (laughs) There's no better episode.
1: There's, there is isn't. There is
0: no better episode. I'm having a coffee right now. Uh, it's not laced, but um, maybe something to think about for future episodes. That's
1: a, it's, it's a, we're recording this a little early, but, but I have coffee, too. So okay, good, it's, good. it's our kind of it's it's older people. Happy hour.
0: It's older. <laughs> hey, speak for yourself.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um, all right. Let's kick it off here. We've got a question from Jason and you're going to like this joke because it didn't. Now, who's your sponsor for your for Saki Benjamin's?
1: We, we have two sponsors, Magnify Money and SoFi are okay. our sponsors. So, oh. you know, SoFi helps people get out of student loan debt. Magnify Money helps people uh, evaluate uh, savings accounts, checking accounts and credit cards.
0: We just had Dan Macklin on the podcast a lot too long ago, co-founder of SoFi and uh, yeah. really a brilliant concept there. But wasn't there once upon a time a sponsor named Fidelity?
1: We did a long time ago for three months. We had Fidelity as our sponsor. Yeah.
0: So that brings us to Jason's question. He says, instead of giving Fidelity $20,000 over the next 20 years, how about I actually use those funds in a more self-productive way? Help. Sounds like Jason's a little upset.
1: If Um, I was, if I still Fidelity as a sponsor, I would tell him that's a bad idea. No, I'm joking.
0: (laughs) Of course. (laughs) <laughs> um, but can I just say one thing though? I mean, so giving, I don't really understand. I wish he had given us a little bit more, uh, of like more specifics. I think he's a little upset and, um, not happy with the idea of handing his money over to anybody, whether it's Fidelity or Schwab. But if you're interested in saving for retirement, giving a money manager or a portfolio manager or any money, uh, management company $20,000 over the next 20 years, that's not going to cut it. Um, so it's sort of apples to oranges here, you know, there's investing in yourself and then there's investing for your future, for your retirement, which are two different things. How would you suggest to go about investing this $20,000?
1: I think I like this idea that Jason has, though, of self-productive way. Like, how can I work on me to make my money worth more money? And I and I love that thinking because you are this engine that can create more cash. So I think I think what he might be talking about is education. And I think one of the first things I would do, we talked about SoFi just a minute ago. They have a new thing on their website. Thing is the technical term. Uh, it's an infographic that shows the return on investment of education. It's, it's a return on graduate school education, return on, on, uh, undergrad education. So I think, I think looking at something like that to see what the return on education would be and combining that with what Jason really wants to do, you know, I mean, I'm 47 years old. I want to figure out what I'm, what I do when I grow up. Um, but, but I think he puts those two things together. He's, he's on the right track.
0: I agree. Although I would say that in in conjunction to investing in yourself, using that money to either go to grad school, get educated, learn a skill, even travel sometimes has great ROI that you are also attentive to your long-term needs. Retirement, although you might be only in your 20s now or 30s I'm guessing, it's uh, it's going to creep up, right? And you know this, Joe. I'm sure a lot of your um Your peers and people older than you who are approaching retirement are feeling like maybe they should have started saving a little sooner. They could have saved a little bit more. So nothing... Here says to me, you should not be saving for retirement. And, and you know what? Don't go with fidelity if you don't like fidelity. <laughs> right. There, there are plenty of ways to, to get that uh, compounding interest working in your behalf over the next 30, 40 years until retirement. But, but do try to keep both goals uh, working simultaneously.
1: And can we peel that back for a second, Farnoosh? Because I love this thing, and a lot of people may not have heard of it called the Rule of Seventy Two, where it's this great, just pen and paper way of figuring out what your money is going to be worth. So let's talk about what the education is Jason going to need to replicate to equal uh, twenty thousand dollars over the next twenty years. So let's say he earns. 8% on that money, you take 8%, you divide it into 72. And that means his money's going to double every nine years. So if he gave them $20,000 over the next 20 years that 20,000 is going to double twice so that 20,000 is going to become 40,000 in 9 years and in 18 years it's going to be $80,000 so when jason's doing and you know a lot of people do these apples and oranges comparisons if he wants to do an apples to apples comparison whatever that education is to make it worth the same amount of money it's going to have to be worth about 80,000 bucks
0: brilliant i didn't know so if i had that kind of projections too that's pretty cool
1: yeah it's pretty neat
0: all right. That's great advice. Let's turn to Carrie. She says, here's another young professional. She works for a Fortune 300 company. I love that because, you know, there's so many tiers. There's 500, right. 400, 300, 100.
1: Stacking Benjamins. I don't know if you know this, news, <laughs> but Stacking Benjamins is a Fortune 8,000
0: Yes. Company. Oh, we're Fortune 7,999.9. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, shoot. I yeah. did make that list. snap. Um, She says, like many of your guests, I'm not fulfilled by my job. It's a soul crushing feeling. I work 12 to 18 hours a day. Jeez. She only has four days off a month. Wow. Um, I want to do something else. Yeah, you think? But she says, I'm lost as to what I would do if I quit. Everyone tells me I have unlimited potential if I stay. Well, of course, they're going to tell you that, Carrie. Carrie. But I'm not sure it is work is worth the personal cost. I don't know how to move forward. I do have over a year's worth of expenses and savings. Can you recommend a life coach for confused young professionals or can you offer any other advice? Wow. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say go hire a life coach. That would not be my first advice to you, Carrie. I love the fact that you have over a year's worth of expenses. You know, when I got laid off from my job in 2009, also somewhat unhappy, but too scared, too chicken to leave and be entrepreneurial I got laid off, but you know what saved me was having a year's worth of, um, of, of my expenses tucked away. And in that year, I was able to explore new opportunities, try new things, take risks. And that's what I would say to you. Um, maybe don't quit your day job right now, but as you are looking to transition and with this cost, with this savings cushion tucked away, start looking into other areas of uh, of the world, of the marketplace that would bring you happiness. You know, when you think about what little Carrie envisioned doing with her life when she was 12, 13, 14, is that lining up right now? Is that matching up? If not, go back to your little self and see where you actually dreamed of of arriving. And maybe that's where you have to return. You know, sometimes we discover our passions a lot early on in life, but yeah. then things get in the way. You know, uh, expectations get in the way, the system gets in the way, finances get in the way. So try to do a little of more self-exploration in the next couple of months. Take maybe some classes, um, start reading some good blogs, start meeting with people. I know your job's really busy, but if this is, if you're going to get, you know, give yourself like six months to come up with a strategy, and even if it means cutting back at work and they're going to hate you for it, oh well, because you're leaving, <laughs> You don't want to burn a bridge. Don't burn a bridge. But you know what? Don't go crazy either. Um, don't meet every expectation. Um, do what you have to do to keep your job and keep your paycheck. But in the meantime, start exploring elsewhere. What do you think, Joe?
1: Uh, I think that's fantastic advice. And I would only add two things. I would, I would, and I love the fact that Carrie has, uh, I think her soul's in the right place, right? I mean, she's already starting to think by asking the way she asked this question says, I'm already exploring. So your advice fits that perfectly. I would only add that she should go back and listen to your interview with Tess Viglin live from FinCon because Tess was in, you know, she wasn't in a soul crushing job, but she knew she wasn't in the right place. And uh, that's a fantastic interview, Farnoosh. And Thank I think you. that, well, it, and then maybe even reading Tess's book, And Tess's book just realized it's not a how-to. It's just somebody who's been through that, like been through what Carrie's hoping to go through um, and talking about it very frankly about what it's like to transition out of a career and then really not have a complete plan B in place, which is my second thing. I see a lot of people, especially online, quote, gurus that say, just go follow your passion and it's going to be unicorns and rainbows. I, I would prefer as a former financial advisor, that when you decide, Carrie, what you want to do, you, you start setting up a real business plan like you would if you were going to open up a, a restaurant. And that business plan, by the way, will probably be wrong. But by filling out the pieces of the business plan, what's my marketing plan going to be? How am I going to bring you know, th- th- the products to market? How, how am I going to price those products? What's the competition? You'll start to see the landscape. And then when you make the jump, you're going to make it more realistically than you will uh, if you just do what you're passionate about. I hear way too much talk about oh, yeah. what I'm passionate. Yeah. You want to be passionate, but you also want to have a clear idea of the road ahead.
0: Absolutely. And coming up on So Money, speaking of that, on Monday, actually, I have an interview with Terry Trispicio, who just finished a TED talk about how passion is for losers. No. <laughs> no. But in all honesty, that, that we, like you say, Joe, we just emphasize this passion endeavor to, to the point where people are stuck. You know, they don't feel it's appropriate to pursue anything unless they're a 100- hundred, and 10% head over heels about it. Um, so one other thing I would say to you, Karen, also, I'm sorry, Carrie, is that, you know, there are ways to find out there are tests that you can take online and in person at institutes where they can test your aptitude. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. And and they may cost like five or six hundred bucks, but maybe it's worthwhile if you really don't know what it is you are meant to be doing and you have been, and I've, I've, and you're the perfect candidate, I think for an aptitude test, because you've been stuck in a job that's been, you've been fine doing and you're good at it, but you don't love it. And what aptitude really tries to excavate is what your strengths are, but also what you're you know, really excited about. And, and uh, that kind of that convergence. So look for that online. There are like free tests online, but if you really want to, you know, get the institutional <laughs> test, there are, All places are for that, too. But it is going to be a little bit of money.
1: Well, and on that note, there's this thing they used to make called books. <laughs> and this and this book uh, that's out what? there that's been a bestseller for I know the, what's this book thing you're talking about, Joe? What color's uh, my parachute? Uh, that one? Y- yeah, I mean the one that college. The reason that thing's been a bestseller is because it's resonated with so many people, right? It's been a bestseller forever. They keep yeah. redoing it and updating it. So maybe it's time for Carrie to give "What Color's My Parachute" a, a swing yes. again.
0: And you know, the author I interviewed him several years ago. He has a new kind of. Uh, he's ve- he's I think he's in his 80s now. Um, he basically has lived off of the book can you believe it that's that that's amazing I can can believe it because it's so popular he has come out recently I think in the last few years he's come out with a 2.0 version of that book um so I think because it was written like in the 90s um so definitely check that out and visit your local library all right. Uh, Karen says, hey, Farnoosh, I would appreciate your help with this question. Is it possible to recoup the value of treasury bonds if the original bond notes are lost? Do banks keep records of who bought or redeemed bonds? Many years ago, my dad bought some bonds, but we haven't been able to find any paper record, no bond notes or receipts. Is there anything we can do? Joe, I have no idea.
1: <laughs> well, I got to say, this is the one question that I thought I had an idea, but it's been a long time. It's been six years since I was a financial advisor. So I had to dig back in and look. And here's here's the thing, Karen, I'm a little confused by the language in your question, because when I think of treasury bonds, I think of things like T-bills and notes, which are larger scale bonds. Now there's also double E bonds. So it's really going to matter which one you're talking about. So let's start with double E's. When it comes to double E's, Double E bonds. It's really cool. If you go to the Treasury Direct website and click on the double E section, you can actually fill out a form for lost bonds. And if you give them as much information as possible, it can be as little as your name and your social security number. But hopefully there's some record. It doesn't look like there is in in Karen's case. Um, There's a good chance that they have a record of your bond and they can print out new ones. When it comes to treasury bills and treasury notes, that's going to be different. There is no actual piece of paper. And a lot of people don't know this. Like sometimes people, Farnoosh, you know, get a stock certificate when they buy a stock. There's no such thing when it comes to T-bills and T-notes. So in that case, what happens is when you buy the t bill or the note, you actually fill something out that includes the bank account you want your money to go into. And when the bond matures, automatically that money returns to the account. So either in for her dad's case, it either has already been returned or at some point in the future when it comes due, that money will be returned. But it's an automatic thing. So that money will show up in whatever account that he listed.
0: And that website, again, is TreasuryDirect.gov. That's right. Yeah. All right. Good luck, Karen. Annie says, Hey, Farnoosh, what is a good target amount to keep in your checking account? My husband and I have finally broken the paycheck to paycheck cycle. All right. Yeah. Woohoo. And have enough money to cover our bills and some left over. We leave a cushion in our checking account out of fear of an accidental overdraft or for automatic bill pays, which we don't monitor closely. But I worry that the excess in our checking could be put to better use. Thanks for your advice. Really enjoying your podcast. Annie, well, you know, what I'm toasting you right now virtually with my cup of Joe and uh, really thank you for sharing that I hope the podcast has been helpful and encouraging to you and your husband as you've been working towards being financially liberated from that paycheck to paycheck cycle rock on you know I don't really have a rule of thumb for how much to keep in your checking account other than to say that it sounds like you guys are doing the right thing. You have enough in there, obviously, to pay your bills, the ones that you know are going to be coming in every month. And then maybe on top of that, another 15 or 20%, uh, to leave as a cushion. Don't worry so much about, uh, leaving too much money on the table in checking. Is so that, you know, if you're, if you're leaving an extra, say, 500 a month in checking, yeah, maybe you could move that into a savings account and earn a little bit more interest, like tiny. Uh, but it's, I would rather you, you know, give up that minuscule interest and just have the cushion because what happens is if you do have an overdraft, if you do have a bounce check, that's going to be a big fee, you know, $35, $40. So that could end up eating any potential savings yield that you would earn in a savings account right away. What do you think, Joe?
1: Well, I I totally agree with that. The rule of thumb I used when I was an advisor, uh, if I was working with someone like Annie, would be think of the biggest bill that you ever had to pay. And that'll be things like, uh, you know, your car having a serious problem or uh, your refrigerator dying, you know, something like that. And then take that number and go one and a half times. Or if you want to be really, really careful, two times. But the phrase that bothers me, Annie, Annie did a great job of getting out of the paycheck to paycheck cycle, but often people, these those overdraft fees that you talk about, Farnoosh, those send people back into the paycheck. Mm -hmm a paycheck cycle. So we want to avoid those at all possible. So look to, there are so many cool apps out now. When I was at FinCon, I saw one that I'll just mention, a company called Simple. Uh, they're an online banking platform. But you know what? I think that a lot of banks now have this similar thing where you can set up your budget on the, on an app that the bank has and at the very top of their app, what I liked it said, this is safe money that's safe to spend. So at the beginning of every month, you earmark what I have going for, you know, for my rent, what I have going for uh, groceries, what I have going for gasoline, and then everything else is money that, that is safe to spend. And I look at that number at the top and I know, okay, I'm not going to get into trouble as long as that number is a nice hefty little number. So I'd start, I go to your bank and I'd look for what banking apps they have and really take advantage of technology.
0: That's great. Yeah. And I, I, you mentioned, um, Annie, that you guys aren't really monitoring your bills that closely. So perhaps for over the next six months, you do, you know, you just get into that habit of just knowing where your money's going at all times so that you just have that cognizance. And then, in, and then at that point, you know, incorporating the apps will just be an extra layer of protection for you and insight. So yeah, um, t- this podcast and Joe's as well, stacking Benjamin's, um, really is a, are great resources for you as we talk and interview a lot of people behind these technologies. And so keep up the good work. Thanks for your question and congratulations. Can
1: I, yeah. Can I jump in there one more time, yeah. Nush? When it comes to, to to the budget, a lot of people have trouble with spreadsheets and they think, oh, these numbers, you know how you get rid of that? The way we got rid of it was because uh, Cheryl and I, my spouse and I are busy people. We started when our twins were very young, having a weekly money meeting. And we would just sit down with the bank statement with whatever bills came in that week. We would look at them and that meeting Farnouche was about a 15 minute meeting yeah. and that little bit of communication where we looked at it together. We found there were errors on our phone bill. There were, I mean, we found so much stuff, but what was the best part was both of us kind of had a pulse on where our money was. So I really like the weekly meeting. It doesn't have to be long. Doesn't to be formal. Ours involved wine. Yours doesn't have to involve wine, but ours did. <laughs> we did it. We did it during the kids nap time later on. When the kids were about eight, we started involving them too, which ended up being fun most of the time, you know, so uh, I'd recommend that.
0: Great. And okay, one last thing Annie because I I just love your question and I just want to celebrate your your success and to keep it going. One thing that Tim and I do in our marriage, it it doesn't work for everybody, but I'm a big advocate of it. It's having yours mine in our accounts, which right. which actually may end up helping you avoid uh over overspending in ways that is going to cause conflict or perhaps um being like, "Wait, what was this bill? I didn't want to remember this, you know, Netflix subscription." And your husband's like, "Well, I thought we would enjoy it." So, this way you each have a, a, a kind of a an equal ratio, an equal percentage of your joint income reserved just for you. So that's three buckets, yours and your husband's and your joint account, which will cover all of your joint expenses, obviously. But something else to consider as you're now navigating this really awesome terrain, which is financial freedom. So just a, a, a parting bit of advice there. Okay, moving on here, Pedro and Andrea. Andrea, uh, I remember you two. We we skyped. Yes, they say we skyped with you over a money session earlier this year, and wanted to let you know that we have succeeded at negotiating with our wedding vendors. All right, awesome and also a new salary at Andrea's job. Woohoo! <laughs> cool. They say we're, they're such a cute couple. I loved meeting them. They said that we're so excited. Thank you for the inspiration for our lives, for things we didn't think were possible. Now we have a question as we merge part of our finances. We are contributing the same percentage of our incomes to a joint account. If our salaries are similar, do you think we should pay rent 50-50, proportional to how much each person has saved overall, Or proportional to actual income. We can't decide. I think it should be income. Yeah. I think, you know what? Rent is a month to month expense and I think it should be proportional to income. Your savings perhaps is something that you reserve for future goals that you have together, where it's whether it's a down payment on a home um or uh, a car or a vacation. And from there, maybe from the savings you can do um, you know, fifty fifty for those future things. But rent, I would say just stick with the uh, you know, the take home pay and split it since it is such a recurring expense.
1: Joe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> did it really put you to sleep? I mean, well, no, no. I have this friend that wrote this book called when she makes more and, uh, where they kind of go over, you know, uh, uh, people making different amounts of money in the household. So I'm, uh, I have nothing to add.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, no, in this case, I don't know who wrote that book, but she must be wise, <laughs> but she must
1: be very smart.
0: Yeah. I would say in this case, their, their pay is equal. Yeah. So in this case, I think rent should be split 50 50. And uh, hey. that's that's it. You know, it seems pretty obvious to me. Um, you know, ultimately, you guys got to do what's comfortable for you. But I think that sticking with status quo there is fine.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It, it, the, the, the piece I definitely would not do was they ask about your savings. Do not base it on the amount that you have saved. No,
0: no, no. Um, yeah, I just think continue to save and in the future combine that for something that you're both going to appreciate and, uh, and, and enjoy. Okay, Marta, last question here. She says, hey, Farnoosh, thanks so much for your podcast. It has had a huge impact on my life and I'm very grateful for that. Well, thank you, Marta. This podcast would not be anywhere without the support of Listeners like you. She says, I made sure that I went online to submit a review for you. It's titled life changing podcast. Wow. Wow. All
1: right. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much. She says vacationing comes up. Often on your podcast, and I was wondering what your thoughts are on owning a second home versus a timeshare in a specific apartment versus a timeshare through something like Interval International. Are these a good way to make travel or vacationing a healthy part of any budget?
1: Love this question.
0: Okay, well, I'll let you go. I mean, I have I have (laughs) I'm just gonna say right off the bat, I'm not a fan of timeshares.
1: Well well, here's the thing, Farnoosh, from from where I sit, which is that uh, most people do not understand timeshares, which is why there are so many that are sold for pennies on the dollar. These memberships get sold way later. So, you know, you get invited to this seminar, you get some type of a free thing to go. They There are some high pressure sales techniques that these companies use. You don't understand what you're getting into. Then you're in it. You pay a bunch of fees, whether you use the properties or not, these uh, maintenance and, and upkeep fees. And then uh, you dump it for next done because you don't understand it. And the bad news is they're always building more too. So if you're getting into a timeshare as an investment, it's an absolutely horrible, horrible thing to do. However, I have had friends and I've had clients and I've had uh, uh, people that are financial advisors that I know that have gotten into timeshares. And usually these are with the big boys, the big companies like either Hilton or Disney, something like that, where it's a big reputable company that's not going to Put you in a headlock. And as long as they know what they're getting into. This can be a great way to have a nice place somewhere in the world, but there's a few things going on here. You have to want to travel every year. You have to be okay with understanding that your points aren't going to add up depending on where you're at. It's it's kind of convoluted. So um, I would I would say Farnoosh. Usually I agree with you. Staying away from timeshares is a great idea, unless you're this subset of people that get it. You know you're going to travel every year for the rest. of life or your family's going to travel, then it can be okay as a part of your budget. Um, and, And, you know, some of these places are nice places.
0: Right, and I think that subset is very small, though. And I, I just actually interviewed someone on the podcast who was desperate to unload her her timeshare because, yeah. guess what, she got divorced. She bought this timeshare with her spouse. Now they're exes, and you know, life happens. You have kids, you get divorced, or you change jobs, and you can't travel for a year. So just know, like you said, that uh, this. A timeshare really needs to fit your lifestyle and it assumes a particular kind of lifestyle and particular goals every year. So just be aware of that. You know, I think you might be better off um, having a vacation fund and I recommend maybe 5% of your income every year. To towards vacation and recreation every year and then every year decide where you're going to go. And along the way, try to save uh, as you buy your tickets and your in your lodging. But maybe that's a better way to go until you know for sure that your life is going to take on a certain consistency.
1: Um, I like I like that advice because it's so much just just less convoluted. You know, it is very simple to go on Hotwire hotwirehotels.com or whatever and, yeah. and, get, and get a hotel versus this, you know, 75 page document you're going to have to sign to get into a timeshare agreement.
0: Yeah. And if you don't understand the timeshare agreement, don't sign it. It's not to say that you don't have the acumen, uh, but some, but they purposely sometimes make these documents just really uh, overwhelming. And, you know, I just signed a 10, 15 page contract the other day, uh, and I was, I'm just hoping I didn't miss a sentence <laughs> in that contract, which was a very important contract. I am not, it wasn't for a timeshare, but, um, you know, just to say that life is busy and we don't have time to read all the fine print. And so if this is just something that you're willing to take up, just, you know, there are other ways to have a good time. And on that note, what a good time it's been with you, Joe Salci. Hi, what's going on on stacking Benjamins? What, what do we have to look forward to this winter?
1: Oh, we are having a lot of fun. We've changed our format slightly. We've made it more uh, Tonight Show y in our basement kind of way. Our show's live from my parents' half finished basement. We we are have moved to weekly themes. So every week we have a theme. Or maybe we're talking about retirement this week. Or maybe we're talking about like Halloween week. We'll talk about scary financial planning things. Ooh. We're gonna we're going to to go with that. I'm I'm really excited. Every year around Thanksgiving, we always have uh, Bridget Carey from CNET on talking about what the hot new tech toys are like what's going to be cool uh, we also have uh, Brent Shelton from Fat Wallet on talking about everything that's not tech like what's what's the cool new stuff there I, th- I love that because you know as much as I love finance I also love buying new toys and and those are fun and at the end of that week the day after Thanksgiving we have our annual board game episode where we have some, uh, some big board game geeky person on who talks about what the cool board games are to take to grandma's house mm-hmm. for Nice. For the holidays, yeah. Wow.
0: Well, I'll be tuning in for sure. And by the way, do you have the new iPhone? Are you are you one of those you know people who waits in line or is right to rush to order?
1: No. You know it's funny? You know who I am? I'm the guy that likes to read about all that stuff. I never buy anything. <laughs> I, I I read about it non-stop. We've had Bridget on our show every year from CNET, and I listen and I think, oh, that's so cool. That's so neat. Uh, the big investment I've made tech technology wise is I finally a year ago bought a Sonos system for my house and nice. we added a couple speakers at a time. And I love just being able to turn on a speaker as I go into a room and turn it off using my phone. Um, it's a, it's a fantastic toy. Probably not worth it though. I would, really? I would have to, I would have to say as a former financial advisor, the amount of money I paid for that versus, you know, versus what I could have done with that money. Otherwise yes. what I need to buy, what I want to buy is the Nest. I would, oh, I would love yeah. to buy the Nest yeah and do you want to actually
0: end up paying for itself over several years
1: absolutely. I think you've had Andrea work on your show have not yes. you yes, yeah, so have we and andrea. andrea was all about Andrea, yeah, I'll get that wrong every time <laughs> <laughs> sorry andrea we but every, it it seems like uh. Uh, you know, she talks about stuff like the nest, um, and some of these cool, you know, I'm, I'd love to buy Hue that lighting system mm-hmm. that they have for your house too. Uh, but no, I'll buy those like eight or nine years from now.
0: Yeah. You'll be really educated about those things and just I just never buy them. I, I yeah. will be. Well, everyone, check out Stacking Benjamins, uh, one of the top shows on iTunes. And uh, we look forward to just k- staying in touch. You're, I feel like you're my podcast neighbor. We're like next door neighbors.
1: You are my buddy. The grass is greener. <laughs> I do don't know about that <laughs> we, we haven't seen the grass we're in the basement, okay, in the I don't basement. Know what, you don't even i don't see know light. what grass looks like right,
0: right. <laughs> you're like bats okay <laughs> well uh good stuff joe thanks so much for helping us out with all of these questions very appreciated. and wishing you tons more success with the podcast and uh all those gadgets i hope you get them all for your
1: house yeah, thanks a ton back at you